this morning my sermon is on prayer. It's not on persecution. But I do want to say real quickly and real briefly that the Bible teaches that all who live godly will suffer persecution. And I will say that we have been under a very sneaky persecution in the church in this country for many years. He that has ears to hear, let him hear this morning. The persecution has blindsided us. We've been persecuted and we don't even know it. The purpose of persecution has always been the same. It is to appeal to the mob of this world. It is to appease the mob of this world, number one. And number two, it is to silence the truth that points out the error of their ways. That is the purpose of persecution. The easiest way has always been by the sword. You threaten a person's life and more than likely they'll eventually quit speaking. They'll eventually quit preaching. They'll eventually quit telling the truth and go into hiding. This is the purpose of the world. This is the purpose of persecution. To silence the truth that exposes the light in their, of their darkness. Well, we happen to live in a country where it's illegal to just go cut somebody's head off. Thank God for that. We happen to live in a country where Herod can no longer just decide that he's going to arrest Peter and James and cut their head off publicly so that the mob enjoys Herod and thinks that he is something great. So the enemy has had to come up with a much more sneaky route to persecute the church. But the purpose is the same, to silence us from speaking the truth, to back us into a corner, and to appease the mob of this world. What is this persecution that I speak of? It is a false view of what love really looks like. It is an appeal to the very Scriptures that we claim to hold to. It is an appeal to the very Scriptures that we preach that God is love. And therefore, if you do what God does, and if you love like God loves, you will not speak hateful things against sin. You will not speak that people must repent. You will not speak that there is a real literal hell. There is a real literal hell. And Jesus preached about it more than He preached on heaven or love. There's a pastor in our own local area that has gone on television recently. And you may have, if you've watched television, you may have seen the um, the, the commercials who has said, hell is not a real place. The man better repent before he finds out for real. Because hell is a real place. And by the way, nothing anybody says will ever change it. Just because somebody says they're a pastor and, and somebody, or somebody says they're a professor, it doesn't matter what anybody says, the Word of God is settled once and forevermore. And we have been persecuted into this false view of, of trying to be uh, loving and that if you're not loving and you're not all-inclusive and if, and if you tell people that, that it's a sin to be gay, if you tell people that it's a sin to fornicate, fornication is, is, is sex outside of marriage and it's still a sin today as much as it was 2,000 years ago. It is a sin to lie. It is a, still a sin to cheat. It is a sin to steal. Sin is sin, and it hasn't changed because the culture's changed. But we've been persecuted in, in, in this sneaky way where, where the Scriptures have been twisted on their heads and the people have tried to come and say, if you really want people to, to come to church, if you want people to, to serve God, all that you can do is show them this loving side of God. All, all that you can do is preach this pocket of the Bible. If you preach anything else, you're being hateful, you're being disrespectful, you're not being loving. And the church has bought it hook, line, and sinker. And many pastors across this nation have quit preaching the truth. You see, the truth is that God does love you. That God loves you so much that He was willing to send His Son to die. But why did His Son have to die? Because you're a sinner, that's why. Because there is a penalty for our rebellion against God. And the penalty for rebellion against God is death. 
the penalty for rebellion against God is that we be cut off and cast away. And somebody has to pay that penalty. It'll either be you forever in a devil's hell or it will be the Savior, Jesus Christ, when you place your faith in Him. But your sins must be paid for. And He does love you. He wouldn't have went to the cross if He did not. He wouldn't have made the way out, the way of escape. He wouldn't have devised a plan that you might be saved if He didn't love you. But not to tell you the truth that you must repent is not love. It is cowardly and it is wicked. I had someone recently arguing with me on the issue of homosexuality. Let me say this. Homosexuality is a sin. But, so is fornication, so is lying, so is thieving, so is living your life with a cussing tongue. Rebellion against God is sin. And the church needs to learn to treat it that way. I think in large part the church has did a terrible job with this issue of homosexuality. We treat it as if it's some other sin from all other sins and somehow it's just a different pocket of people. Some will say, well, you're born that way. I was born a wicked sinner with the desire to lust at everything that walked in front of me. Now, I might have enough courage to stand up and tell you that, but most of you are the same as me. So is the fact that I was born that way evidence it is right? No! It is evidence that the Word of God is right and that we are born sinners and it has told us so. I was born with the natural instinct to lie if it would protect me. To be selfish and to take from others if I would gain from it. What does being born a certain way have anything to do with whether it's right or wrong? The Bible says it's sin. And in my conversation with these people about this particular sin just a few days ago, the thought occurred to me, if I was your doctor and you knew, and I knew that you had cancer and I had did the test and I knew this, that your cancer was curable. But hey, by a show of hands, how many would like to hear the news today that you have cancer? Not one. So let's say that I conclude nobody wants to hear that. I mean, that's offensive to tell me I've got cancer. And so I make the decision that I don't want to offend you. Just let you go on your own way. And I let you die in your cancer. I don't treat the thing before it was treatable. And you die because of your disease. There's not a single one of you in here that would say I was a loving man. You would say I was a coward. Who didn't have enough courage to tell you the truth. Because I didn't want to hurt your feelings. Well, how much different are we, church, if we won't tell the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved? He's the one that said it. I didn't say it. I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what it says. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father except through Him. And this persecution that the church has endured, I'm telling you in large part, it has played a, a huge, significant role in zapping us of our power. And we've been fooled into thinking that loving means just keeping our mouth shut. Just living the life. If I have the news that you need to be saved, living my life in front of you isn't going to do the trick. I've got to tell you the truth. There is a way out and His name is Jesus Christ. All that live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. Today's preachers have been silenced into preaching a watered-down version of the truth. Half of it. Half of it won't save you. A silent preacher is as good as a dead one. What I'm here to tell you today is that the church must intervene. My call today is to the church. That's to you. Not to you preachers, not to you pastors, not even to you leaders, but to the church. In our text... Peter had been arrested. And in the careful recording of God's Word, while I have no doubt that Peter prayed about the situation, I have no doubt that Peter had lifted his voice to God and asked God to do what God would, could do. But the Bible tells us this in verse 5. 
Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. The church must intervene through prayer. This morning, I want you to understand the power of prayer. And if you'll listen to me for just a few brief moments, I want to preach on the topic of prayer. There's nothing more important and more significant than we can do than pray. Prayer is the one thing that we have that takes us from this realm into God's realm in the matter of a word. It is the one thing that actually moves God. And while we get so wrapped up in trying to move people and trying to create sermons that will move somebody's heart or trying to do some outreach that will touch somebody's heart, if we will just get in touch with God, God will do the work and God will reach people's hearts. And God can do more in a moment than any of us could do in a lifetime. And when we understand that, we begin to see the necessity for prayer. Look at James chapter 5 and verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now look at the last sentence. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. First of all, don't you want your prayers to be effective? You know, the Bible teaches that not every prayer is effective. The Bible teaches that not every time that we say words to God does He necessarily hear them. There's a big difference between saying prayers and actually praying. There's a big difference between reading a prayer and actually speaking from your heart to God. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Before I deal with the word fervent, I want to deal with the reality. The Bible tells us the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Listen to what it does not say. It doesn't say the prayer of a Christian availeth much. It does not say the prayer of a believer availeth much. Or that word availeth, it means accomplishes much. Has strength and power in it. It does not say that the prayer of those who confess Christ accomplishes much, but the prayer of the righteous. There is something to be said about living right. There is something to be said about the reality that God honors those who honor Him. It is unbelievable the wickedness. Judgment needs to begin in the house of God. We need to call sin what it is. Slothfulness what it is. It is a sad thing to see the state of the modern church, those who call themselves Christians, who live very literally, there's very little difference between they, the way they live and the rest of the world lives. They are not righteous in their thinking. They are not righteous in their speaking. They are not righteous in their living. If that is you, your prayer doesn't amount to much to God. I just read you the Scripture. The good news is that God tells us the truth so that we know. Step number one, brothers and sisters, we must be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves, are we what we say we are? Are you who you say you are? Are you a righteous man or a righteous woman? Does your life reflect what you speak? Because the, the prayer of a righteous man avails much. That word effectual and fervent. To be brief, it simply means passionate. You know, there is a time and a place for passionate praying. There's a time and a place for passionate worship and passionate preaching. There are a handful of folks who don't like my delivery style. That's okay. It's not for everybody. I get that. But I'll say this. If there's never any passion, 
in what we're dealing with, in the fact that this is heaven and hell, that we are trying to save souls, that we are trying to reach people and change their eternal destiny, that we're trying to carry the message that there is a way out of this hopeless world, that there is an answer to the sin problem. It ought to come out with some form of passion. If we really believe it in the depths of our soul, how could we not be passionate about it? And if we understand the power of prayer, how could we not be passionate about our prayer life? How much time do you spend in prayer each day, child of God? Do you understand that, that, that prayer reaches the heavens? There is not a single weapon that we have more powerful than the weapon of prayer. It is in the place of prayer that we transcend this world, if you will, and enter into the presence of God, where God's ear is attentive to our words. And while the world is dying around us, and the church in large part has lost its power and its message has been rejected, where are the prayer warriors? Look with me at John chapter 9 and verse 31. I'm glad I didn't write it. All I've got to do is read it and tell you what it says. All I want to look at is the first. Well, let's just, we'll look at the whole verse. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. What do we know that God does not hear sinners? If you're a sinner here, you need to know something. God's not obligated to hear your prayer. God's not obligated to intervene in your situation and fix your mess-ups. How often do we know sinners, if you will? They ought to talk about how they pray. You're praying to a wall. If you want the God of heaven to intervene and His ear to be attentive to you, you've got to repent of your sins and follow Him. His, your life has to belong to Him. See, this is the truth. And I can't help but wonder, when, when, when you think about the reality that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, those who profess to be Christians yet continue in their sin, yet have no brokenheartedness over their sin, who continue to lie, who continue to deceive, who continue to pretend they're something they're not, who continue to hurt others, who continue to be mean-spirited to their family, and, and, and who continue to, to, to behave in ways that are contrary to the Christian life. How in the world can you think that God hears your prayers? You don't even believe the very Word of God which tells us he doesn't hear the prayer of sinners. Now, follow me, church. If God doesn't hear the prayer of sinners, and if the prayer of the unrighteous, even within the church, doesn't accomplish much, never before has so much been left to so little. How much time are you spending in prayer? We can do nothing without God. Nothing. Nothing. I can't save a single soul here this morning. If you are lost and you need saved, I cannot save you. God's the only one that can do that. God doesn't need my yelling. God doesn't need my anything. We need Him. And you might not understand this, but this is a principle that rules my life. I studied for this message. I worked to put it together. But 90% of what I've had to rely on is getting into the presence of God and praying and asking God to do what I cannot. Asking God to stir your heart this morning. See, I can't stir your heart. All that a man can do is stir your emotions. And stirring your emotions in and of itself never save anybody. A man might emotionally be able to make you cry. 
He might be able to point out your fault, but only God can reach in that heart of yours and touch it with His hand and change it forevermore. And I've got to understand, and the church has to understand, we've got to trust to, on, on a holy and a, and, a, and a supernatural God to transcend this world and reach in and do what we cannot. And if we trust that and if we believe that, how can we go on our way without praying and seeking Him and asking Him, God, do something that only You can? God put a desire in this person's heart to want to wake up and come to church tomorrow because God, if you don't, they would never want to be here. And then God, when they come, would you open their heart to the reality that you're real because they don't think you're real. They think it's just man-made. They think it's just religion. They think it's just some stories made by men. Only you can open the eyes of their hearts, God, and show them that you are real and show them your glory. It is that humble dependence upon God that every one of us must learn to live by. And I know I'm talking to you about my experience as a pastor. But our text talks about the church. Praying is not meant to be left to the spiritual elite. Praying is not meant to be left to those who are educated and who are the the leaders of God's people. Prayer is for every single child of God. So what happened when the church prayed? Back to our text. Verse 7, an angel of the Lord came. I have to move this morning, so I'm just going to tell you the story. I read it. An angel of the Lord comes. These men are... are, are, are uh, Peter is, is being uh, kept by four different groups of men. More than likely, it's four groups of four. That's debatable. And there were 16 total groups that were meant to watch over him. Some have argued that, that really it was just uh, four at a time and they took six-hour shifts. Some have argued that all 16 were on call the whole time. It doesn't, that doesn't matter. The point is there were multiple men that were watching him, that he was locked behind bars and that he was chained up. Some commentators believe he was actually chained to the guards. And an angel intervened and supernaturally led him out of that place as we read in our text. The intervention was so supernatural that the text tells us that even Peter himself thought this is a vision. That's what he thought. He thought it was a dream. He didn't think it was real. didn't think this was actually happening. He thought God was giving him a vision. And it wasn't until he was all the way out of the city and the door had opened and he's standing there and all of a sudden the angel disappears that he realizes as the wind is blowing across his face that this really happened. Now here's what I want to say this morning. Prayer moves us into the supernatural. And prayer moves the heart of a supernatural God. God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And it is a supernatural move of God that we need in our country, that we need in our churches, that we need in this very house this very morning. And it is prayer that brings that about. Prayer can do so much more than anything we could ever do when we pray. God's way of devising a plan is so much greater than ours. You know, if we were to try to come up with some way to get Peter out of there, we would have had two options. The first one would have sort of went against our faith, and that was to go in by force, to do whatever it takes, to go in by force and just steal him out of there. The second one, is what most of us probably would have somehow in some way thought of. What we're going to have to do is win one of the guards. That's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to send somebody. We're going to have to witness to them. We're going to have to get them saved. And then when they get saved, we're going to have to convince them. They're going to have to do their part to let him out. We're going to have to do this quick. We would have this great plan to try to get the the enemy in on our uh, that was part of it, the soldiers that were part of it, somehow on our side to help him out. My point is this, when we'll get real about asking God to do something however He wants to do it and believe that He has supernatural power to accomplish it, God will devise a plan. We need prayer warriors to rise up in this church. We need the church to pray. Never before has the ministry of prayer been left to so few. Every great thing that ever happened in the Bible started with somebody praying. 
Prayer was part of it. We see Elijah praying for seven times before God sent the cloud that would eventually bring water to the land. We see in Acts chapter 4 the church praying and then the earthquake take place. The power of God fall. We see in Acts chapter 2 that they were all in one accord and they were praying there when the Spirit was given. We see here that while Peter was in prison, the church was praying and supernaturally an angel came and led him out of that place. Heaven is moved by prayer. That's my point this morning. All that we would be connected with heaven and that we would be heavenly focused and spiritually focused rather than so engrossed upon what can we do in our own natural strength. We can do more in one hour of prayer than we can do in a hundred hours of our own effort. This is spiritual business. And unfortunately, it's all too often being, being attempted by fleshly controlled people. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 21 that His Father's house would be a house of prayer. If you remember when Jesus came in and He turned over the temple, and he, excuse me, He turned over the tables and He took a whip and He drove those that were exchanging money out of the temple. He told them, my Father's house shall be a house of prayer. And I say out of Matthew chapter 21 that God judges the sin in the church too. There are many probably here under the sound of my voice, the reason that you have been hesitant to fully surrender to God, the reason you've been hesitant to give your life and your heart to Him and to be all in for Him is because you can point to people in the church that you've seen throughout the ages that professed Christ with their mouth and lived another way with their life. Listen to the preacher this morning. God sees their hypocrisy and there will come a time and there will come a day when God will deal with them just as He deals with every sinner on the face of this earth. And Jesus walked in and turned their tables over and said, Get out of this place! You have turned this into a den of thieves. But He said, My Father's house is to be a house of prayer. A house of prayer. That was the temple. When the Holy Spirit came, we became the temple. That means you are to be a house of prayer. You. No wonder the Apostle Paul told us to pray without ceasing. You are to be a house of prayer. To be prayerful in everything that you do. To pray for God to to, to move in, in your own life and in the life of your family and for God to use you each and every day. To pray for God to do supernatural things through His church. To save sinners. To pray for God's anointing upon those that God has raised up to be leaders of His people. It is your responsibility to be that house of prayer where God is, is approached by you each and every day through the heavenlies as you, as you kneel in prayer and you bring your prayers before His throne. You let the fire go out on the prayer room of the church and the place will still look smart and it will still look clean, but it will go cold. When the fire of prayer leaves the people of God, the church will still look clean, will still look incredibly smart, but will be cold and powerless. We must pray. Of all the duties that are given to us as Christians, there is none that is more essential and yet more neglected than prayer. My guess is if you took every one of us here, every one of us under the sound of my voice, and you took the amount of time that we have all prayed this week, every prayer said, every moment in solitude before the presence of God. And if you took that and then divided it by the number of people in here, my guess is this, that over the entire week, the average prayer life in here is less than 10 minutes. That's my guess. And I think it's a fair guess. You see, we think we can do, think we can do it without Him. We say this is spiritual business, but we don't really live like it's spiritual business. We say we believe that God answered prayers, but we don't pray because we don't really believe it. It is time for an awakening 
in the hearts of God's people to the reality of what our God can do. God can reach your loved ones. God can save your sinner friends and family. God can work a miracle in your situation, in your marriage, in your finances, in your life. Whatever it may be, God is a supernatural God. He's the same God He's always been. But He's waiting on His people to rise up and pray and to believe. Always respond to every impulse to pray. You might be compelled to pray when you're driving down the road or when you're reading your Bible or, or while you're walking or whatever it may do, whatever it may be. It might even be while you're standing in the line at Walmart. But when any time you feel an impulse to pray, a good rule of thumb is to stop what you're doing and to pray about it right away. The problem with the church is we have substituted wishing for prayer. Hoping. Positive thinking. There is no substitute for prayer. Just wishing that somebody's gonna, life is gonna change isn't prayer. Just thinking and hoping that one day God will do something isn't prayer. Prayer is stopping what you're doing and talking to God about it. Prayer is pushing into the presence of God sometimes in silence, in solitude, that God might speak to your spiritual ear in the still, small voice of your heart. One can believe intellectually in the power of prayer and yet never pray. My guess is that most of you here this morning that have been part of the church for any length of time, you believe what I'm saying. But believing it intellectually is not enough. We have to put it into practice. We have to push into the place of prayer. You see, prayer changes us. Prayer is not just about getting something from God. Prayer is not about just going to God and asking God to fix this thing and fix this thing and fix this thing. And here's my list of things that need fixed for the day. God desires us to bring our needs to Him. But the fact remains, God knows the need before it ever leaves our mouth. The ultimate purpose of prayer is that we might know God. The New Testament theme of prayer was not to get things from God, but rather that the people might better get to know God. You'll never actually know Him like He wants you to know Him until you learn to make prayer an intimate, personal part of your everyday life. Christianity is a dry and boring and for the most part useless thing when... All you're doing is going through the motions. When all you see it is something you do. You go to church. You hear the preacher preach. You sing some songs. You memorize a couple scriptures. It's dry. It's difficult to understand. But when you understand, all of that is so minor compared to what God really sent His Son to die for. God sent His Son to die so He could have a relationship with you. So that you could know Him. So that you could have the ability to spend one-on time with Him and to press into His presence through prayer. And that one day, when this world is no more and heaven and hell are the final two destinations of everyone, that those who are saved might actually know God in His fullness. We might actually see Him the way that He is, our faith will become sight. That's why Christ died. Not just so you could go through the motions and be a member of a church and, and, and pay some tithes and, and hear the preacher preach. Christianity is meant to be so much deeper than that. What God wants with you is supposed to be so much more intimate than that. Those who truly know God the best are those who spend the most time in prayer. The Lord's Prayer. Lord, Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. 
That prayer was recited by millions of people this morning across this nation who have not the slightest intention of letting anybody's will be done except their own. Real prayer changes us. We need to learn to pray and be specific. The Bible talks about praying and asking amiss. We need to pray generally for the church. We need to pray generally for our country. We need to pray generally for our leaders. But you need to learn to get specific about the needs in your family. Too many times, prayer is like a shotgun blast. And it just scatters and never actually hits anything direct. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes us. My heart breaks when I think about how neglected it is in the church. If God will do whatever He wishes, regardless of whether or not we pray, then why do we need to pray at all? There are those who foolishly assert that. That's not the Bible. The Lord instructed us to pray. To pray for the kingdom and to pray for God's will. The truth is that God waits for the church to rise up and pray in agreement with His purposes. Before God does anything. Listen to this. God will not do anything apart from His church. We cannot do anything without God. It's not that God cannot do anything without us. He certainly could. But He chooses not to. It is His choice. It is His sovereign will. He is the one who has declared it to us. He has chosen to work through His beloved church. And every great revival that you'll ever read about in history, all the great movements that you'll read about in the Word of God, they started with somebody who was willing to pray. The problem with the modern day churches, we're looking for better methods. We're looking for better machinery. I am not against things such as the screen. But we're so wrapped up in trying the newest modern thing in this country. We've progressed from the black and white to new backgrounds. We even have moving backgrounds now. Isn't that entertaining? God does not move through methods. God moves through men and women, people. The church does not need new methods. We do not need new machinery. We need some men and women again to understand that this is spiritual business that can only be done through people as God pours Himself out on people and God pours Himself out on people and anoints those who spend their lives in prayer and seek God's face for the power and for the anointing and for the direction that we need. Oh, I pray that this morning this message does not fall on deaf ears. I pray that this morning I don't get a bunch of pats on the back about great message on prayer by people who will walk out and pray no more than before you came in. I'm not here to make you feel small. I'm not here to make you feel bad. But I'm here to be honest. And I'm not here to make you feel good either. The message of the Gospel is not to make us feel good. It's to change us. You need to understand that. Jesus did not die on a cross to make us happy. He died on a cross to make us holy. And true holiness will eventually result in true happiness. Crossway Church, we must rise up. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. My heart breaks when I think about how few there really are that even fall into that category. 
And it's no wonder the church is broken. It's no wonder the divorce rate's the same in the church as it is in the stinking world. It's no wonder families are broken. People remain in their pride. People go about their own business. People pat themselves on the backs and say, well, I'm under grace and God loves me. Because in a large part, the glory has departed. And the power is left because God's people haven't prayed. Prayer makes us bold. Prayer makes us bold. Prayer gives us the power to get up and preach the truth in front of men and women. Because we know that humbly, we're really just leaning on God. The man or woman that's willing to kneel before God can stand in front of anyone and boldly proclaim the truth. This morning, we need an awakening. When I look at the persecution that has blindsided us, I mean blindsided us, we don't even know our way out. There's so little hunger for the Word anymore that people aren't in the Word. Many of you, the only Word that you get is when you show up and hear me preach. And you fill your head with television and with radio and everything else throughout the week. And somehow you're hoping something spiritual is going to happen. God help us. We need an awakening. This culture so desperately needs a remnant to rise up within the church and say we will believe in prayer. We will believe in holiness. We will live what we say we believe. And just like Paul said to the rest of the church, we will live in such a way where we can say, look at our wives and examine us. I pray that I can be that for you. Pastoring is leading. It's not just getting up and telling you to do something. I'm not a perfect man. I'm not a sinless man. But I pray to God I can live such a way that when I get up and preach, I can preach about a way I've lived. And today I can tell you prayer. I can, I can tell you I've lived what I'm preaching. I pray that I can live in such a way that I can say, look at my life and follow me. Because that's what Paul said. Oh, so often we bought the cheesy, baloney lie. Well, don't look at me. Just look at Jesus. You'll never find the Apostle saying that. You'll find the Bible telling you the exact opposite. To live in such a way that is worthy of your calling. So that the world might look upon you and see the changing power of God in your life. That's what the Bible says. And I'm telling you, when we push into the place of prayer, that begins to be cultivated in our life. I'll ask our worship team to come and I'll be done today. The last statement I want to make. It is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. It is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. Alone. You say it again. It is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. Much of what needs to happen can happen through prayer alone. The church didn't run and unlock the shackles. The church didn't get together and scheme up some elaborate plan on how to free Peter. All they did was pray. And God brought the deliverance. I don't have all the answers. When I look at the, 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 the society, when I look at the sexual perversion that has driven our country, when I look at the, 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 the way that, that, that our brains are, are, are being bombarded with filth and nastiness that for, never would have passed years ago. Television commercials on, at 4 to 5 p.m. on mainstream television that you want to shield your children's eyes from. 
When I look at the lukewarmness of the church and the powerlessness that's coming from those pulpits and the lack of true salvation and the lack of true lives that are changed through the power of God, I see a problem that's bigger than I know how to fix. We don't have to know how to fix the problem though. We've got to get back to believing that God hears our prayers and He is able to devise a plan. And rather than throw up our hands and just live flippantly the rest of our lives until the Lord comes to take us home, that we get serious about believing that if we'll get serious about praying and living for God, that our God can still do something great in our families, in our community, and in this country. He can. This morning, if you're a Christian, would you be honest? Honest about your prayer life? Your prayer life really shows how much you truly depend upon God. It shows how concerned you are about what's happening in the world around us. How much time do you invest praying for it? It shows you how really invested you are in the spiritual things at Crossway Church. How often do you really stop and spend time praying for us and for this church and for God's will to be done? My prayer this morning is that God's people are stirred to action. That's my prayer. That we are reminded of the power of true, effective, fervent prayer of the righteous. My prayer is that some of you will be moved to repent of your lukewarm living and quit deceiving yourself into thinking that you can live lukewarm, one foot in, one foot out, be this way around these people, this way around these folks, spiritual at church, and still think that God is going to honor your prayers. The Bible's told us otherwise. You need to repent this morning. Be a righteous man. Be a righteous woman. And then we read the text. God does not hear the prayer of sinners. Sinner, the only prayer that God is obligated and promised to hear out of your mouth and from your heart is the first prayer of repentance. The first prayer where you acknowledge to God, God, I need You. God, I am a sinner. And while I have hurt a lot of people, I have sinned against You. And I need forgiveness. And I'll give you my life at this very moment. I will repent and serve you from this moment forward. That's the first prayer that God will hear out of the sinner's mouth. This morning, if you're not saved, you're going to have the opportunity to respond. Father, I pray that You move all across this room in Jesus' name. I've said all I can say, but God, I'm talking about spiritual business. And unless you do spiritual things in the spiritual hearts of these people, it won't be seen. It won't truly be received. I pray, God, right now that you'd give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to understand, and faith to believe, courage to repent, a willingness to trust you, and a desire to Seems like all I can see was struggle. Thy ghost that lived in my past Bound up in shackles of all my failures Wondering how long is this